0: Hello, my amazing chai drinkers. How are you? Welcome to episode two of season three of the show, coming to you from Washington, DC. I'm your host, Anusha Hussain. If you follow me on Instagram, my favorite social media platform, you may have figured out that I am a big lover of all things food. I am not only an excellent eater and dessert connoisseur, if I do say so myself, but I am also a closet cook. Not something I do too often, but you'd be surprised at my culinary talents. But when I come across the page or work of our guest today, I realize I am really nothing more than a mere mortal. I am talking about Shama Owe Sadat, better known to her fans and followers as Spice Boon. Shama is a cook, recipe developer, food photographer, and stylist. Her writing focuses on food, culture, and identity. In addition to being a proud Torontorian, Shama is a Pakistani Afghan with Persian ancestry. She loves to combine the flavors of her heritage, which she calls Silk Root Cuisine, with the bounty of her home in Canada. You can find her published work in Bon Appetit, BBC, CBC, Food 52, Globe and Mail, New York Times, Toronto Star, and Wine Enthusiast, amongst many others. And she is our guest today on Spilling Chai. Hello and welcome to the show, Spice Spoon. So there was a bit of press last year, you know, with staff at high-profile food publications, you know, editors were accused of systemic racism. And Padma Lakshmi, in her Hulu series, Taste the Nation, you know, she talks about how immigrants don't really get to talk about our food and tell our stories and as a woman of color, how do you feel about food and recipes, you know, being taken from our culture, kind of whitewashed and then remarketed to us?
1: I love this question so much. And I'm so passionate about this topic. And I'm so glad that you brought it up. You know, Anoushe, when I started writing about food, which was back in 2009, it was it was like, it was advocacy. That's what it was for me. It was my way of saying That I come from this part of the world that has been maligned, that is constantly in the media. Like if somebody meets you and you say the word Pakistan, for example, you know, what is the first word that's going to come to your mind? It's going to be poverty, right? Terrorism you know, then, you know, people started talking more about like Malala, for example, and Malala was like an icon, but it was still related to, oh, but she ran, she had to leave the country because she couldn't be there anymore. And so I think all of these things, when uh, when I heard all of this, I felt that, you know, there are ways of bonding with other human beings and that is through food and through writing about your food. And that's what I felt would bring people together, or at least let people understand that, you're very similar to them, that there is something that you have in common because you can break bread together. And the other thing, really, I felt was that we need to bloody well tell our own stories. Why do yeah. we need someone else to tell our own stories, right? To write about the curry or like the balti, right?
0: Oh, drives me nuts. But we haven't been able to articulate it for like centuries. I guess we didn't have a voice, right? I think that we
1: also did not have the tools. The tools, like the language, yeah. I find I really like now. We can use words like appropriation, appropriation yeah. of a narrative, what is the dominant narrative, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think th- having that language is also so important. There's definitely, for me, the way I feel about it is that right now, a friend of mine, actually, she put it, I'm using her phrase, I mean, she's a white woman, and she's a very close friend of mine, and she's in the food world, and I often, often discuss this with her, and she said, you know, Shama, the pendulum was swinging in one direction for such a long time, where it was white people writing about the food of people of color, that if the pendulum is swinging to the other end now, where we're saying, or you're saying, don't cook our food or don't write about our food. I don't, I'm not saying that I believe that, but I'm saying that it's nuanced. But she said, you know, let it be the way that it is because we
0: need to come find some kind of an equilibrium. We do, but I don't feel like, I understand that point of view, but it's almost a little bit more condescending where it was coming from. They become, the, and it's not just with our food, they become the experts. Like I've had my articles written, my political articles. Well, mm. they'll edit the, the partition part of the history or the 1971 part of the history. And I'm like, mm. who are you? Like my family lived. Yes. There. And your mother was a part of that whole movement. Yeah. And then also, but we also eat this food is what we were yeah. grown up with. So that's another thing. It's, where does that come from? Is that race or colonialism where they're going to teach us about it? I think it's colonialism, but really, Anoshe,
1: what it boils down to, and I, this is why I don't like this word either. It's like squads. It's like in high school huh. where you have these squads and you have these people. And even for me, and you know, I am a Canadian. I mean, I may have the Pakistani, Afghan, Persian background, but I am a Canadian. And I can tell you that even though I come from privilege, I've gone to certain universities because I come from privilege, et cetera, et cetera. But still, I find it's very difficult to break into the sector here because these are people. Yeah, because these are people who've gone to school. They've gone to summer school together. Maybe they have a cottage that they've gone to all their lives and they know one
0: another. So it's still a it's still a struggle for me. Do you when you say squad, you mean like clicks, right? Yes. Yes, clicks. Because this is like in New York too, you know, you have like the food stylists and the chefs, and then they, you know, on the weekends, they're in the Hamptons together. And you're right. And that's a kind of networking too. So we're kind of shut out. We are shut out. Like, for example,
1: in Toronto, for example, the food stylists who are doing the styling for corporations, let's say for the big grocery stores or for the magazines here, et cetera, et cetera, they have all known each other for a very, very long time. And it was interesting. Somebody the other day, and this this is somebody who I, who I like, but this is a white woman who said to me, you know, I work with other women on set and I think it's just such a wonderful kind of inclusive environment, but they are all white women. There's no intersectionality. And I think that is problematic because Anusha, by the way, you know, when we talk about this and I, I don't want to go off topic, but you know, you're, you're a feminist and you're, you're very, you know, your voice like is, is very strong when it comes to these issues. I find my issues in life have a lot of the time been with other white women, not necessarily with men Yeah, and not being allowed into their clubs, into the yeah. squads, into the, you know, and it was very late in life. I think it it was really in my late thirties, early forties that I felt that I had their respect in yes. many ways. And I thought, wow, you like my food, but you used to beat me up yes. over it. When I was in
0: school. So, yes. Oh my God, that is such a quote.
1: (laughs) That is so true. This is what a lot of people of color say that you said that our food, you know, whether it was mango achar or kimchi, it stank. And now you're putting it in cocktails and what have you. Look, I think it's a good thing that there is this awareness. If they are eating, you know, the dal bhat or they're eating, you know, the mango achar, I think it's a good thing. But I think that it has to happen concomitantly, meaning in the sense that those of us who know the food and come from that culture, we should be able to write about it and cook it. It shouldn't just be that one white male chef who's made kimchi popular because he put it in a cocktail.
0: Gordon Ramsay cooking biryani in like India and Pakistan is driving me crazy. You know he's going to take that and like sell that for 500 pounds at his restaurant. Yeah,
1: they do. Well, you know, that's another thing that we, uh, but Anusha, I have to say that it's also, I find people from our culture, like I will hear a lot of brown parents say, oh, I'm not going to pay, you know, $20 for a plate of, you know, chicken karhai, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that because it's It's that colonial mentality that we have, right? We were told that we were not good enough and our food was not good enough and that you can pay $50 for a plate of bloody meat and potatoes with salt and pepper, but you can't pay $50 for a plate of chicken karhai. Now, why shouldn't you? You know, we also
0: have to change our outlook and our mentality, Yes. That is so true. I mean, how can people respect you if you don't respect yourself? That is, that is so true. It's, col- it is,
1: it's our colonial past. And I think that we are, we, we are changing and we are evolving, but I think that it's going to take a lot more time. Oh, yes.
0: Yes, you are so right. So economist, Italophile, Italophile chef, <laughs> food stylist, which is your favorite title or are you not one for titles?
1: You know, I find it's difficult now, uh, Anoushe, to have a title. Do you find that it's difficult to have an elevator pitch? Because, you know, they always used to say that you need to have like a 10, 20. was very hard. But when you're, when you're sort of a brand... Which yeah. you know I am, and I and you are as well. Yeah. How do you sort of say what it is that you do? And regarding the economist, by the way, it's interesting you brought that up. I just recently slashed that out of my LinkedIn no. profile. Yes, because I think we need to let go.
0: Isn't this wow. a brown child uh, mentality? <laughs> it is. But you are also kind of like a superstar brown child. Like you went to Cambridge and you became an economist in the World Bank. Like you're kind of everybody's I am a, dream child. I am a, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was like, (laughs) I know, no, no, (laughs) but you are, no, I, but you dropped it. What? Tell me why you dropped it. I'm wow. You're because part of your life, huh? I dropped it because
1: of circumstances, because I loved being in the world of development and being with the UN. But then when we decided to make Canada our home, I was no longer able to work in development and I was working at the treasury. And then I was working at the ministry of energy and I did enjoy the work, but I have to tell you, it was not my passion anymore. If I was still living in Rome and working at the, at the UN, I think I would have, I don't think I would have, you know, sort of transitioned into, into food, but I think it was just circumstances that made it that way. And then at one point, I had to make a choice which one to do. But I think we're really hung up on this whole thing of, you know, what is our educational background and everything. And uh I just recently, yeah, I edited my LinkedIn profile and I don't have any, there's nothing about me being an economist anymore because what I am now is Spice Spoon. That is my brand and that is who I am. I
0: love that. Thank you. I love that. That is so true. And you know what? That takes courage. This is us breaking, you know, cycles and traditions too. That takes courage. But can I tell you, if I had an economist label, I would probably tattoo that on my forehead. (laughs) 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 Because I didn't even, I barely passed 11th grade math. But I mean, that is a huge accomplishment too. Not just from being brown. I mean, come on, that's not a joke. Even for white people, that's a big. big (laughs) big. But (laughs) a brown parent would be sort of, uh,
1: you know, it's like more of a, My parents want me to, even though, I mean, my parents are very supportive of what it is that I'm, that I'm doing now. But I think that it always, it sort of lurks in the back of our mind that, you know, you studied and you did all this and then yet, you know, you've
0: transitioned and you're doing something completely different. But how proud. Are your parents? I mean, I do have to say. I mean, I can only your food and so your stories, your writing. By the way, and this is another thing. Aside from not cooking for us in Bangladesh, <laughs> your, your writing like was just like this quiet, like a superstar writer was just sitting there. I mean, you probably thought we were all so annoying, but you really honor. And I love how you tribute your mother and your food so much. Thank you. I love that. I mean, aren't your parents so proud? My parents are definitely very
1: proud. And my parents have been supportive of this move and, you know, this transition. My whole family has. But, you know, interestingly enough, it was and it's not because of any sort of negativity but you know women i find sometimes are more risk averse and they're more looking for something in terms of st- you know stability with careers and when i was leaving the civil service and you know i had a pension and i had a permanent job we were unionized it was my mother and my sisters who said shama you know but are you sure? Like, okay, we, you know, you're amazing, but like, are you sure that you want to do this and give up, you know, the pension and whatnot? And it was the men like my father, my sister's husband, my husband who were like, yeah, yeah, go, go. This is great. Do it, do it. You know? That's awesome. So really you do see this sort of gender divide, at least in my family. I, I saw that. And and now everybody's very supportive and they're they They help me in, in many, many ways they have also financially helped me. So, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a very big deal to me. And so then I I am, I am here where I am, but it's also because of, you know, the help that I've gotten from my family.
0: That is awesome. I actually is a perfect segue to this next question. I wanted to ask because Feel like we're getting there. We're getting. I know I am getting there, but it's just in the past Mm. year or two about understanding that our work has value. Pay me for my work. I mean, the first time. I mean, I'm sure you know this too. The first couple of years, I feel like the first year or two online writing, there was a period almost. People thought that if you were working online, it should be free. Mm. Mm. You know, and everything was grabbable. But like, I I think you were one of the early ones who was kind of like, hey, these are my photographs. Do not use them. Ask for permission. Like you were so good. So do you think we're becoming better now about this is my worth? This is my rate. No, it's not free. (laughs) Yes. And I remember Anosha, I mean, you like the, um,
1: the, your body of work. I mean, come on, you are so prolific. You are such a prolific writer. And I remember we, you and I were both in the early days, you know, doing a lot of online sort of work for me. I have to say that definitely because I had a stable source of income, because I was in the civil service, that helped in the sense that I could say no to certain gigs where they were like, okay, we would like to feature you, but we're not going to pay you. I could say no to that. So I think we have to be mindful of that as well in terms of like, we have this kind of unsaid rule in some of these private Facebook groups that I'm in that, you know, no rate shaming, like if somebody wants to write for free or somebody wants to write for 10 cents or word, et cetera, et cetera. We can't shame them because we don't know what their circumstances are. But I think for me, definitely I had to say no, because I thought that it was so much emotional and mental labor. A lot of work. Doing this writing. It's a lot of work and you can't pay people an exposure. I'm sorry. It just does not bring in the dollars. Yeah. Oh God. It doesn't. And we have to be realistic. And you know, Anusha, also this whole thing about do what you love. I think definitely there is some truth to it, but do what you love, but it also needs to bring in the income. And I'm always very clear on that. When people ask me about what it is that I do, I tell them a few things. The first thing is, is that I had a full-time job and of course I had, you know, savings. Number two, I have a partner. So my partner and I are, you know, we income wise, we take care of the household. It's not a one income household. So when I do sign a contract or I do some kind of a project, I mean, yes, it's the, the financial aspect of it matters. So I think one has to keep all of those things in mind and not just have, you know, those little Pinterest things, do what you love. And, you know, I'm so blessed, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, <laughs> though, that's, it's not realistic. It's
0: not realistic. You're so right. You're so right. Hashtag blessed. It's not realistic. <laughs> That is a quote. <laughs> you should start a t-shirt business uh, line on this. I had quotes from Spice. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. But this is the other thing, because like, you know, I loved when you started doing your cooking classes. Another thing, I mean, you honestly were one of, you were really like the first for me. Like, and also like- well, Thank you. And also I think five or six years ago, you were the one who told me that I needed a logo. You were like, get on your logo. And actually you're- that I have a logo. Yes, we talked about it. Anusha's point. Yes. And then I got like Nabiha's husband in Bangladesh <laughs> to do it for yes. me for free. <laughs> but your niece. What? Yes, my niece. Imagine. But yeah, I mean, how crazy. But when you started doing your cooking classes, this is the other thing. You yes, you do have to have your day job. We are lucky when we have other sources of income. And of course, partners, yes. that that matters too. But you do have to be a little bit of an entrepreneur, right?
1: Absolutely. We need to stop using this word freelancing. I hate that. I, I I do not like that word. When people ask me about freelancing, I don't know if you're a free, like the person who's asking me, but I say I'm either a solopreneur or an entrepreneur because I'm always thinking about like what it is that I'm going to do related to my brand. And I think that is very, very important. Don't think, oh, I'm going to write for such and such magazine and such and such newspaper. Think about how you will write for that magazine and you will write for that newspaper and how it will look good on your CV. Think old school. Yes. It's a CV thing. And the CV is your brand. The CV is also
0: the internet, right? <laughs> your CV is now online for every yeah, It and is. I, it is. He asked me for a resume once and I was like, why don't you just look me up? Because really, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would we'll you like a hardcore resume at this point? But the other thing that I love about what you do with your work is that The others are doing it. Our competitors are doing it. Like, you know, when when these uh, kind of exposes were coming out last year about food publications, it was the brown staff who were doing the work, Mm. who were doing the video editing and not getting paid. And the, you know, the white chefs who were getting contracts and thousands of dollars extra, you know, for doing these videos. It was because the online video and everything became virtual, obviously, in light of the pandemic. Mm. So it's also about studying... Our competition.
1: It is. But I I think that the way the industry has been shaken up, Anoushe, I think that it is a, I think it's a good thing. And, you know, it's interesting that you're bringing this up because a few people have said to me, and these are my, I would say, I mean, I don't know them maybe in real life, but they're my allies, you know, like in your, in the food world or on Instagram or on Twitter, et cetera. And there has been some sort of, chatter or some comments that, you know, yes, such and such publication or newspaper is trying to hire more people of color, hint, hint. And so, you know, I just want to sort of turn around and say to them that like, you do know that there are millions and millions of people of color in this world. (laughs) And so if somebody is being hired to write or to do work for them it's not because of the color of my skin. It's just that space is being created yes. for people like us. Yes. So don't, don't try and make us feel bad any about- less. Yeah. Yeah. And because I, I understand the sentiment. It's like, oh, it's really great to see that you're in such and such magazine or you're in such and such newspaper. They're really making an effort now. Yeah. They're making an effort, but you know, I'm bloody good yeah. at what I do. Do you're not a so token. we yeah. yeah really never feel never feel embarrassed or don't you know this whole thing that we learned from our parents about modesty and about not marketing ourselves. I mean, I still have this conversation with my father where he says, "Oh, you know, they're self-marketing," and I'm like, "Yes, Baba, this is a good thing. This yeah. is something you should have taught us when yes. we were growing up. <laughs> you have to market ourselves. Like, what is this false mo- not false modesty? It's modesty, and I don't think it's a good thing, and I'm not." going To teach that to my son, yeah. I I want my son to say his affirmations and to say, I am the best, I am good. You no, know, you have
0: to raise your hand. Absolutely. You have to raise your hand. And also, you know, I mean, I get called this a lot, especially in the beginning. But you're very good at this, by the way. Like you have always been very sort of strong and outspoken. And you I like that you've always been this way. Well, it's gotten me in trouble. But you know what the other thing is, is that people like to accuse us of self-promoting. But you know what I always tell people? It is the age of self-promotion it is I mean what am I supposed to do, write something and keep it a secret and why the heck not <laughs> it is the age of self-promotion
1: it is the age of also being you know being inclusive and supporting others as well and not being you know territorial yeah which I think is still I think that it is still a problem you know we talk about how there are you know there's competition with other white writers or white chefs or white stylists. But even within our community, I
0: think that we do need to come together more and support one another more. Yes. Oh, Daisies are really bad about this. They are so bad. What is our problem? That's another thing, what, what is about like brown girl magic. And you'll be surprised how many brown women are not really about brown girl magic at all. Yes, <laughs> it is true. Yes, absolutely. It's true. And that's why I
1: think that. We need to keep also, Anusha, I think we need to keep that balance because we don't want to be completely only supporting other brown women yes. or to be completely, you know, in the white sort of that that circle. We, yes. I, I, I try even on Instagram, I try to keep a balance because I don't want to I don't want to seem like I'm biased. I want to support other women of color, other people of color, BIPOC. I definitely want to do that but I think that also only supporting brown people, I think that also is not
0: necessarily very in- inclusive. Yes, exactly. You are so right. It's actually just doing the reverse right back. Yes. But I also want to quickly bring up, because it's also, it's a little scary when you're in this world. You know, I mean, I don't read comments anymore, but trolls are alive and people on the internet can be really mean and also very scary. I mean, early on a couple of years ago, there was somebody imitating you, wasn't there? Or something? She was stealing your recipes. Do you remember? Yeah. Yes, I remember. How do you Uh, handle stuff like that? What do you do? It's very, very tricky, Anoshe. I
1: mean, the thing is, is that what my, my sort of situation with this person was that it was an appropriation of my narrative. So of course, I have not invented any of the work that I do, meaning it's not new. I didn't create something out of nowhere, right? We all have grandmothers and we have mothers and we we come from a culture where we cook instinctively or what have you. But I think what happens is, is that it's sort of a gray area when you're writing like somebody and you're appropriating their narrative for yourself. It's a very, very tricky area. So I think that if that happened to me today, I would probably deal with it in a different way and I might actually even ignore it because I really think that there's not much you can do and what happens is that you become emotionally drained. <laughs> yeah. And the only and the only way to sort of continue is to constantly reinvent Yourself. That's what, as a creative, you constantly have to do. And I've spoken to other food writers and food bloggers as well. And they say the same thing because, look, all your work is out there. Somebody is invariably going to, you know, take something that you did and they're going to say it's theirs. Oh a friend of mine recently posted a photo of a meal that she had somewhere. And I looked at it and I said, Oh, that's my, that's my recipe. That's my dish because it's just that I've, I've presented a classic dish in a very different way. That is not, it's not presented that way. Yeah. And so she said, yeah, I actually asked her, I said, Oh, this is Shama's recipe. And she said, no, I added a different spice to it. So you see, there's no point. Like I just feel that it's a lot of, um, it, it's just it, it's very it's very just dis- distressful emotionally and really what is copyright and what is authenticity because you know somebody can make one infinitesimal change and it becomes theirs yeah so really you know what can you do and i think it takes away from your work it does and your labor
0: well it's so violating but at the same time what can you do do you know and that you're so right it's so violating and it causes I think as creatives and especially if you're a writer or an artist you have that soft side of you like it really you're it actually ends up hurting us more I guess it takes us down a dark a dark path but I guess copycats and cheats and fakes are have have been there since since the beginning of time they they are don't you also think that like you can't really fool the audience you know people know when it's when they're getting the fake version uh, absolutely <laughs> your
1: your followers and your readers they will know when somebody has taken your work and they have appropriated it and it's it's an interesting time right now anushi i think that a lot of us are having these conversations on social media, especially Instagram, where a lot of us are feeling a little bit burnt out where we have to create content a lot of the time. So you'll put up a, like I used to be able to put up a photo of my dinner, Yeah. but now if I put up a photo of my dinner, I will get inundated in my, you know, direct messages for the recipe. And my take on this is a little bit different. I, I do feel burnt out, but I have to also be very honest and transparent about the fact that, you know, a lot of the work that I get, my income comes from Instagram. Really? So, you know, if I'm advertising my courses, like my classes, my workshops or if I'm working with a brand, if I'm doing content creation for a brand, they've actually seen my work on Instagram. So, you know, I think that we also need to bear in mind that it it may not be a balanced relationship, but it is a bit of a quid pro quo. Yes, of course. You know, if you're putting your work yes. on Instagram. Yes. Yeah. So you know, so I can't complain too much about it. But I think the only thing is, is that I'm like, OK, can I maybe just post my dinner once and just not give you the recipe? And, and you know, some of the messages are very sweet and some of the messages are very like, where's the recipe? You know, yeah. it's like you don't know me. You could say hello. I mean, I'm a human, too. I have a heart. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm
0: people feel entitled to you and your product. Yes, there is that sense of entitlement. So I try to
1: keep an open mind about it because I tell myself, look, I get work through Instagram. So I don't want to say this is absolutely wrong, but I think that we do need to bear in mind that there has to be some kind of a balance.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh, always balance. Yes. So, This question I really want to ask you because since I was young, you have always had style. You have always had stuff. Remember when you cut your hair really short, like sliding doors? Oh gosh, you remember that? Yes. I can't believe I did that by the way. (laughs) You were one of the first people to do that though. When I went to college, I met some like one or two other women, young friends, you know, that I made. (laughs) This was 20 years ago. I was like, hey, Shava did that like way back before anyone. So talk to me about what style means to you because not only do you style food amazingly, but you style yourself with equal attention to detail. Like what is your personal style? And to my listeners real quick, I'm going to tell you, you have to go to Shama's uh, website. You have to go to Spicespoon.com. There's a beautiful film. You can just see your style everywhere. So talk to me about what style means to you. I think style to me is just, a, It's I think it's a
1: reflection of your DNA, Anoushe. And thank you for being so gracious and generous in, in your words.
0: I mean, I feel the same way about you uh, as well. It's really true. I mean, listeners, Google, don't only Google Shama Sadat, but look, Google her, look at her images. Like, you know, your your necklaces, your jewelry, and you do ethnic chic, that's what I call it. I love, I love that. I have to admit, yeah, for me, the
1: shawl, <sighs> Yeah, the 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 old, you know, the the shawl from my mother or from my grandmother with Pakistan, uh, sorry, the Pakistani shawls or the Indian shawls with, with the jewelry, ring with jeans and a t shirt or like yeah. a white sweater. I really really like that. I think it's just a reflection of of you know who who we are. And that comes out in different ways, maybe in the way I style food or maybe in the way, you know, I I dress. And I think it's more a reflection
0: of one's heritage as well, don't you think? Yes, totally. But you know, like I look at you and I'm like, That's how ethnic chic should be done. (laughs) I I use that phrase everywhere because I like it in my home. Obviously, I like it uh, all around me, but I really think you do it. You do it so well and you enjoy it, right? I feel like you're so relaxed about it.
1: I enjoy it, Anoushe, and I'll be so honest with you that, you know, my leaving Washington, D.C., you know, when I was young, like I was 13 when I left and I went to Pakistan and then Kenya, et cetera, et cetera, all the countries that I lived in. I think I was lucky that I was able to be who I am and wear these clothes and have people appreciate them because you know, it could have gone, gone the other way as well. Yes. Where, you know, I mean, when I was living in Washington, DC, I remember, I remember it clearly. I used to tell my mother, don't you dare come to the school wearing a kurta shalwar. I will be humiliated and embarrassed. Mm. I remember that because children were so mean. Kids are so, kids are very, very mean and they say awful things. And then to go to Nairobi to such a, a international environment or to be, you know, in Dhaka or to be in, in, Italy where people actually appreciate what is, I used to, when I was working at the, at the UN in Italy, I used to wear my kurta, not the shalwar, but I would wear a pajama, you know, underneath and people appreciated it. So I think, you know, it's, it's also about other people allowing you to be who you are. Unfortunately, that is the truth that, People need to give you that space and to to be who you are. Otherwise, if they don't, then you're just sort of like crouching in a a corner and you're not able to be the the person that you want to be. It's like with what's happening with Stop Asian Hate right now, where people are saying, well, yes, I'm Korean. But why do you think my name is Ben? Because you made me change my name. You, You made me
0: ashamed of my Korean, beautiful Korean name. Yes. Or why is my name Bill when my name is actually Bilal or no from Muhammad. And, you know, this is actually a big thing I have fought my whole life because I never wanted, when I came to America, I mean, Mm -hmm. people wanted to call me Anu. Uh And I was like, that's not my effing name. You have to learn my name. And I have like three people after 25 years of living in America, like my, my college roommates who call me Anush. And they are like under, you know, that's it's just like, yeah, just them. But I really had to fight. And people were like, you know, anus hay and anishay. Like, it's not that oh. hard, you know, like figure it out. And now <laughs> I'm like, learn it. See, I told you to learn it. Anyhow, you really have to fight. And not everyone is, is like that. And it was funny because when we had our kids, my Iranian American husband, his his first thing was like I mm. just want them to have names that everybody can pronounce. He was so he was so much more productive about it than I was because he grew up here, and we ended up choosing Ava and Layla. But I really want
1: beautiful uh,
0: Amal, and I really wanted Arash. I thought at one point we were going to have a boy, and he was like no. uh, I also wanted Arash. I love oh that my name. goodness,
1: Anushay, we would have had the same name. Ironically,
0: my <laughs> husband's name is Shayan, and I call him Shayan. Everybody does, <laughs> but he said no. Everyone will call him Arash. At- Arash, exactly. I hated that we had to factor that stuff in, but I'm also, I guess I'm glad we did. Inshallah, things are changing. Who knows? Inshallah, they are. But you know, Anusha, I often
1: think about this because in my field, you know, in food writing, we talk a lot about white, you know, whitewashing and presenting recipes in a way that is for the white audience. But, you know, I I understand where people are coming from. I understand the, the concern about it, but I also see it as a beautiful way of connecting with another human being, because if you think about the audience of something, you know, a blog post or something that you've done, I want people to, of course, know that it's called alu, alu kima, let's say, but I also want them, but I also want them to maybe know what it's called in English because of that way of, you know, it's that desire to connect with another human. And I think to some extent, we need to bear that in mind as well. Of course, we need to share the names in our language or in our culture, whatever it is. But it's also a beautiful thing to be able to explain to other people what it is. And so that's just something to keep in mind, I think.
0: true. But what do you call alukima in English? I, th- I think on my blog, I've written, I've called
1: it spiced beet with potatoes or something like that. Mm-hmm. Bangan, I, I know that, you know, the bangan bharta I wrote, I think I've written it as eggplant Spiced eggplant caviar in the Pakistani manner. I think that's what the Wow. Okay. Well, I think you have this down
0: for the language. Okay, maybe I don't have to
1: worry about it. Wow. I think, yeah, I think I've I've Pakistani caviar. I want some. I think I would love for you. I mean, hopefully you will you will come to one of my women's brunches. Hopefully I will have one in 2022. I will. Like I will invite myself. I will just show up. You will be invited. You will be invited, but let's hope that we can all get over this right now, the pandemic, and we can. And start meeting again and, and, and entertaining our friends again in our homes.
0: Seriously. Gosh, how I miss that. Okay. My last two questions. Cause I know you're yes, yes, um, yes, yes. So how has become becoming a mother influenced or changed your cooking and recipes? Because as we know, as moms, it, it comes into everything we do. So has it impacted your cooking? I know you cook with your son sometimes, right? Yes. And he loves yes. strawberries. I know that. Yes yes he does. I so Anusha my son likes to cook with me
1: when it's scheduled. So we will say that we're going to be doing this on a Wednesday or we're going to be doing this on a Sunday.
0: He is your son?
1: <laughs> yes with <laughs> yes yeah but if I am cooking, let's say on a Friday night or a Thursday night, he will not want to sort of join in. And, you know, initially that used to bother me because I I wished that he did. But then I thought, you know, as a mother, it's also for me to accept what it is that my son likes to do. And he prefers Lego mm-hmm. or he prefers, you know, whatever it is they're doing these days, Roblox, et cetera, et cetera. And I've come to that acceptance. And that's the kind of parenting that we do as well, you know, so... I think that is extremely, extremely important. But in terms of my baking, that is something that is very much influenced by my, by my son and the kind of things that he likes, he likes to eat. But What his biggest role in my life is right now, Anoshe, and I'm not exaggerating. He is the tech engineer in this house. I'm sure I believe it. All the lighting, all the video lighting and all the tripods and everything that is set up before I do my masterclass, you know, because I do these online on Zoom now. Or if I'm doing I'm making a video and I need it to be hands-free and I need the tripod set up and everything. Avren is the one who is setting all of this up. So you know, for me, that's how he's a part of my life and my my career, so to speak.
0: That is so cool. Thank you. That's I wow. Oh my! <laughs> now I'm jealous because I'm not surprised that the kids do this, but I am my child's. Zoom, you know, like tech assistant, which is funny considering that their dad is like totally in the space. I am like the Zoom, the Zoom support for my kids' school. Oh, that is so awesome. He must love it. Do you love it? Yes, it's really wonderful
1: because I thought, you know what, if he doesn't want to cook with me all the time, that's fine. But this is how he's a part of my career. Yeah. You know, just like being able to discuss with him, OK, Averin, we're going to be setting up the the artificial lighting, etc., etc. And it's really wonderful. And I'm like, he's only eight and a half. And I wonder what mm-hmm. more he's going to be doing. So it's it's a huge help to me. Honestly, this is not like a cutesy little thing. This is yeah. proper like Averin. Mama has a master class now. Aaron, Mama has to do a shoot now. Can you please set up the
0: equipment? And it's set up. I can't believe you gave birth to your lighting team and your production. <laughs> I did. I gave birth to my. <laughs> that is a quote. That is a quote, Anoushe. <laughs> but you literally did. Like, that is so crazy. <laughs> Most people are getting ring lights. Shama said that. like, I have a better idea. <laughs> in-house labor. Um, okay. So, okay. <laughs> so awesome. Okay. What is your favorite part of your work? You know, what inspires you to do what you do?
1: The favorite part of my work is thinking about what the effect is going to be on the other person when they look at what I do. Like, I love that part of it when you've created it how is the other person interpreting it? What is it that's going through their mind? Are they thinking, oh, I want to reproduce this for my family. Do I want to you know, use this to start my own career? It's inspiring me. I really love that. So when I create a dish or when I'm photographing something, I like to do it and think about the person on the other side. That's something that I really love.
0: Really? That is so interesting because it used to... Now I don't think about it as much, but it used to give me like anxiety. I didn't like it when people didn't interpret my work correctly, but I guess I'm not dealing with food. I'm like, no, that was not my point. But I have realized that when you kind of write something in any kind of writing you have to let go of, you don't know how people are going to interpret it or how it's going to inspire them. There is a certain level of anxiety.
1: I have to say that even now, if I've written something the day it comes out, or if I've posted something or some other outlet on Instagram that I'm working for, if they've posted the work that I've done, the comments, et cetera, definitely, I have to say it
0: creates a little bit of, I feel that anxious. You have to, the comments off. I guess you have to read your comments, right? Because mm, I think to a certain extent
1: you do, but then, you know, if you've created a recipe sometimes, you know, I mean, there's so many variables in recipes, Anoushe, like that's very somebody may be using a different brand of rice, or they may be using yeah. a different type of rice, like instead of basmati, they might be using texmati, and yeah. that's not that's going not to cook in, in 12 minutes or 15 minutes or, or what have you. So I think those things definitely still make me anxious. But I just like it when I create something I like to know, like, how is somebody else going to be interpreting it you know when artists used to say you know like maybe even the renaissance or I don't know like think about the great artists yeah were they creating art for themselves like was it being done in a vacuum or was it being done in a way that okay I'm gonna make this and how is it going to be appreciated or interpreted yeah I don't know I've always thought about that wow I think that what I create I think that there is that sort of energy and that vibe that goes out with it. And that's why I was saying to you earlier that I feel if I overthink something, yeah, my audience can tell, they'll be like, mm, this is something different. This is something, you know,
0: trying too hard. It's such a balance yes. because yes, for a while, I mean, I mean, you're only human, right? And it feels like with your work and with writing recipes, you almost have to be a little bit more available to your audience. That is emotionally draining too, right? You have to be definitely, you have to be very, very available. And so that's why I think we,
1: a lot of us on Instagram have been talking about feeling a little bit burnt out. And that's why you always have to come back again. What is it? Why am I doing this? What am I going to get out of it? You have to keep all of that in mind because otherwise it becomes very, very exhausting. Yes. Oh my God. Just thinking about it, I'm exhausted, but it's so... And when to say no, or when to say, okay, I'm going to put my phone down. You know, when people, like Anusha, you work for yourself as well. Like somebody will say, so are you done? Is your project done? Are you done? But what does that, like yesterday was a Sunday and I think it was eight, Eight o'clock, and we had. I mean, we already had food. My friend's mom had made some beautiful meat uh, palau for us. So all we needed to do was warm it up. Yeah. But still, it was like, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Well, I could go on. So you really, we really have to set those boundaries for ourselves. I mean, I don't know how, whether, how scheduled you are. I've tried bullet journaling. I feel I try it and then I abandon it. Then I go back to it. Yeah. But I do always have to go back to it. Otherwise, I'm doing too many different things. Yeah. I mean,
0: content creation, sky is the limit. Yeah, sky is the limit. And then what about like the social media part of it now? And it's not just like what it was when we first started, we're a post here, post. Now it's like engagement, being authentic, being real. I, you know, honestly thinking about how available you have to make yourself has, has exhausted, has exhausted me. But um, I feel like the work is never done. You're never done. You're never done. And when you love it, you don't want to be done. But I have recently started meditating and it's made a huge difference. As cheesy as it is, it really has. No, it's
1: not cheesy.
0: Please share at some point all of your,
1: you know, tips and views on this. Because, you know, I think a lot of us have been having problems sleeping in the during the pandemic. And for me, for sure. What?
0: now is really real well I have a very good friend who she's in tv she's a legit tv like star and your ex-roommate right no she also is but this is actually you know what I'll say it's it's Kirsten Powers from CNN she's the one who introduced me to to meditation, I always tell her that she's like a brown woman trapped in the body of a white blonde. Woman. <laughs> but I'm like, are you my mother? But uh, she really, and you know, she was like, you can just start with like a minute or two a day, but that centering of yourself. Also, I think when you're an entrepreneur, your mind is just always going, 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 going. And there's a lot to think about. Yes. So and there's a lot to cover. Plus, we're moms.
1: <laughs> just- yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, at night, you know, I will have these sort of dreams in the background. I feel like I'm half awake, half asleep. And it's a lot of imagery. It's mostly, unfortunately, it's editing of the photos that I take. And I think I'm too visually stimulated. So I am going to try now to at least put my phone down 30 to 45 minutes before I go to bed because it's too much
0: stimulation. Very bad. Yeah. Uh, It's one of my, it's so bad. It's actually one of my favorite things to do though. (laughs) I am that mom lying on my side, running the world from my phone. It's so bad. But I also feel like that's on the only really quiet time we get, right?
1: Yeah, it is. It's that <laughs> private time. It's that quiet time. But I think you and I are similar in that sense, right? That we're sort of perfectionists and we want to get things done. But yeah. you have to say, okay, this is it. I am done. Yeah. And and I'm not and I'm not going to work on this
0: any further uh, any further tonight. I have to ask you very quickly, do you always eat good food? Are you always eating good food? Do you ever have something that you're like, this was terrible? I. You mean, have I ever cooked anything that was terrible? No, I, I mean like in your day-to-day, I feel like you're always eating. <laughs> Are you just eating much 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 better way better than anyone else on the planet
1: no you I, guys are.
0: I, 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 <laughs> I I,
1: try no it's not that's not true no I mean of course all of us will have junk food uh, once in a while and by junk food I mean that if something has been you know processed or like fr- let's say fried chicken or what have you I do try to eat I, I do try to eat well and I, I if somebody wants to call it snobbery or what have you that's fine but we try not to eat or bring any processed food into the home unless it's Yes, pasta is processed, and there are other things. But you know, in the fridge, it will mostly be whole foods, and I try to live my life on that sort of principle. So even if it's like a slice of like nice bread with butter and fried onion, uh, fried egg, sorry, I love having that for dinner. Something like that. I will. I do try to make an effort to not bring pro because it's also my profession, and it's also a reflection of who I am. Right. So like I, I try to be true to the way that I show myself to be online as well.
0: Yeah. I feel like it's a little bit easier in Canada. Is it? I feel like in America, it's just like bad food, bad blah. Like there's just so much Bad, fake food around us. Yeah, I mean, I think in Toronto, definitely.
1: Like one thing that happened during the pandemic is the the farmers that I used to buy from during, you know, from the farmers markets. They are all now selling online. And I, you know, on Fridays, I get my delivery. And again, I acknowledge my privilege. I know that, you know, not not everybody is able to do this. And I'm very open about this. But if I can, you know, yes, I will support my local farmers and I will eat the way I will continue to eat the way that I eat. Like I will not buy chocolate chip cookies from a grocery store. We don't buy things like that. And Avron does not. My son doesn't eat things like that
0: good for hey man if I was your son I wouldn't either <laughs> I would have very high standards <laughs> I don't I, I kind of want to hire your kid I'm definitely going to keep an eye on for him on LinkedIn you please do you may need a tech engineer
1: believe me I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal your child and it ain't just lighting it's all <laughs> kinds of wiring and
0: downloading of apps and all of that stuff so you keep an eye on him and I am I am like so happy for you and kind of really jealous okay so last 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 question. What is your advice to other women, other women of color, and just other women, you know, who want to be to want, who want to get in the space that you're in? My advice is of course there are many
1: things related to this that we've that we've already talked about. I think that it's definitely important to have a f- a focus and to have some kind of a financial plan. Like I remember when I was transitioning from the civil service to this my husband and I we sat down and you know we had an excel sheet and we knew you know what it was yes. what the financial expectations were so i think that is one is very important the other thing is try and find somebody who is a mentor and if you are able to i know that not everybody is try to pay your mentor <laughs> because you know everybody's time right now is very it's very precious and you know, I try to help if I can, like, for example, I also teach these courses. I teach food styling and recipe development and food styling at Centennial College. So I'm an adjunct professor and I have some students who will ask me for advice and I am absolutely happy to mentor them. But, you know, if there's somebody who wants ongoing, like, let's say monthly mentoring, it becomes a little bit difficult. So that's one thing that I would say. And then obviously, you know, have a focus because we are, and I don't know if you feel this way, but, you know, we're multi-passionate. Yeah. We want to do this. We want to do that. We want to do writing. We want to do this and that. I think it's important to sort of, in the beginning, write things down and say, you know, these are the things that I that I want to do. And as a woman of color or person of color, it is always going to be a struggle. I remember from childhood to now, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but, you know, my father always said to me, uh, to me and to my sisters, that you have to work harder than everybody else yeah. because you're of the color of your skin. Yes. Baba always said this to us that we need to work harder. And I don't know if that, that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's definitely something to,
0: yes. to keep in mind. Well, you know, that is so true. And you know, Olivia Pope actually said this in in the TV show but it, Scandal. but when I spoke with my African-American mm. and my black friends, it, everybody had been told this when they were kids, but that you have to work. Mm. What three times is hard, twice as hard for half yeah. what they have yeah. and to never forget that. And it's so true. I think it's a good and bad thing because it really instills a work ethic and, and something you will need, discipline and work ethic at the end of the day you know you can't steal from anybody you you have to have that on your own that shama this has been an education i'm so excited thank you this episode. And when is your book coming out? My book is coming out October twelfth. Oh my god! I'm hoping we are a little ahead of schedule, so I'm really hoping for like a summer release because it's very timely, and I need it's it. It's going to be so amazing, but it's hard, man. You got to like hustle. The hustle never. Ends. I know. I know. You I know. know you, and
1: you do it really. But Anusha, you know, you've done it. You've done it really well, and I think that really you're like you. You are like an example for other. Women and for women, you know, the younger women, as in you're young, but I mean, like you know, the women who want to
0: launch their career the way you did. Really, you are an example for them. Thank you so much, Shama. But I really, I learned so much from you. I mean, I always say this; it's true. You were honestly, when other people started food styling and blogging, I was like, everybody is copying Shama Sadat. Oh my God, does she know? <laughs> <laughs> no. I just hope that I've been able to
1: inspire, inspire others. There will be copycats as well, but then, you know, you just have to keep reinventing. And I'm sure even with writing, it's the same. People are going to copy your style, your narrative, your story, but you are so good. You just keep
0: innovating and you just keep reinventing. That's it. Yeah, that is. You know what? We got to take a page out of uh, Madonna's book on this. Talk about reinvention. Right. Yes. She's the mother yes. of reinvention and people used to. What do they call her a whore, a slut? What not? But look at her. I mean, her body of work is incomparable. And you're kind of the Madonna of the food world. I mean, my, my purge of my Iranian mother-in-law was like, I have to tell my audience this, but I showed her, I showed Minu my, yeah, the Spice Food on Instagram and she was like, oh my goodness, the Iranians do not cook this beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, I'm sure you're going to be, her and her friends are going to be all over your Instagram soon. Thank you, Anoush. I really enjoyed
1: talking to you. Thank you so Thank you. much. I'll speak to you soon. Khadafiz. We will speak soon. Khadafiz.
0: One of the things I am looking forward to the most about a post-pandemic world is dining and eating long, endless, wine-drenched dinners with my friends and family, preferably in Italy. Food has always brought people together, and as COVID continues to separate us from our loved ones, I encourage you to get lost in the beauty and stories of Shama Spice Spoon Sadat's food and photos. If you enjoyed this episode of Spilling Chai, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. After a hack attempt, we are no longer on Facebook, which honestly has been great. (laughs) You can stream us on all major podcast platforms. Check us out on Linktree, YouTube, or to make life simple, just visit us on (laughs) SpillingChai.com. And until next time, let's keep brewing the chai.